If you turn to Revelation chapter 5, we'll be reading the whole chapter, all 14 verses. If you please write the reading of the word when you find your place. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I have heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, and all that in them is saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Reading the word. You may be seated. I want us to think about it. Has there ever been a time in your life where you just didn't think you could go on? Where it just felt too hard? Where you had all your hopes and dreams wrapped up and then one day they're just gone, they're shattered. I know many of us have experienced that at some point or another. I know many of us have experienced that this year. But I want us to think about this. I want us to think about what it must have been like to be the Apostle John. You're, you're called up to heaven. You're, you're being shown all these wonderful things. You, you've written down what the Lord had given you and He given you this with, with great authority to these seven churches and you've told them to repent. And now he's going to tell you what is about to happen. And all this excitement is building up. And, and you see the holiness we talked about last week on the throne. The holiness of the Father. And thrown with thunder and lightning flashing out. You realize that the Father is ready to unleash judgment upon the world. But he has that rainbow all around his throne reminding him of his covenant he made with the earth. He is waiting for one to be holy. To come and take that, that scroll. And as John looks out... Who does he see that is worthy to take the scroll? He sees no one. And he starts to weep bitterly over and over. And I can understand how he weep bitterly. Because he knows the promises and he knows the prophecies of what is about to take place. But no one is worthy to, to take it. Could you imagine a worse thing for John? Finding out that no one. I imagine it was in the back of his mind. Surely Jesus must be worthy. He is the one that has given me this vision. He is the one that, that died for my sins. He is the one my salvation, my hope, 
depends on. Is he not worthy? But what do we see? We see John being comforted by an elder of the church. He says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. I want us to, to, to go back in the history of through, throughout the Bible. We, we see this imagery going on back, back in the with Isaac, when he's being sacrificed by Abraham, Isaac asks a very simple question of his father. Where is the lamb? Where is the sacrifice? God would provide a sacrifice is what Abraham told him. And then what, what, what do we see John the Baptist telling his disciples? Behold the Lamb of God. Now we, we get into Revelation. Now what do we see? Does the church say, Behold the Lamb of God? The church says, Behold the Lion of tribe of Judah. He appears as a lamb as if he has been slain. I want us to understand, when Jesus comes again, you will not simply see a humble lamb. You are going to see a roaring lion who is going to battle with that lion that is on the prowl that seeks to devour his saints. Understand very clearly, you can no more separate the lion from the lamb than you can separate Jesus' divinity from his humanity. They are one. The lion and the lamb, they are one. The lion is coming soon. And so what, if, what does John see? And John sees this lamb coming forward. Understand, let's go back into that throne room and see that, that beautiful vision of the Father on the throne and the, the sevenfold spirit lamps in front of him and the four creatures and the 24 elders which are the church surrounding him. And now he sees a lamb that has been slain approaching the Father getting ready to take that scroll. How much joy must John have felt? I want to reassure you all, you, no matter what you have been through in this life, no matter what you will go through, there is hope. It is not the end. But while John weeped bitterly because he saw no way through it, who would dare approach God Almighty and take that scroll from his hand? Who would do it? His own son. I want you to remember that in, in Genesis, when the world is being spoken into existence, Jesus is in control. By all things, we have Jesus. All things through him were created. In the Old Testament, when, when the people were being enslaved, their hope was the Messiah to come. It was Jesus. When Jesus is being mocked and crucified on the cross, our hope is in him. When he is resurrected and he is ascending to the right hand of the Father, our hope is in him. And even now, as he gets ready to take that scroll, our hope is in him. Amen. And what, what exactly is this scroll? What is going on here? We see this, this scroll is written on front and back. It's, it details, it is really a land deed, this scroll. Now, if we, we go into the Hebrew culture a little bit to understand what this is, but... For in the Hebrew culture, when it's very similar to when we write out a will. We write out a will saying who we're giving all our stuff to. And so when we pass on, there's going to be a lawyer that gets involved, and our children, and those we pass things on to will be sat down in a room, and they will read this will out saying, you're getting this, and you're getting this, and you're getting this. Well, it's very similar in the Hebrew culture, is that the, the eldest son would inherit everything. Not just a little bit, everything. 
Now, we need to understand, what is Jesus going to inherit? Does he not have everything already? What would he be inheriting? Let's go back to the garden. Who was placed in control of all of creation? Adam. But Adam screwed up, didn't he? Adam screwed up big time, and he sinned. And somebody usurped his authority. Who was that? His name is Satan. Lucifer. And what happens with him? He becomes the principality. He becomes the one that is controlling the earth. He is the one that offers to Jesus when he comes in the incarnation. He says, I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Why could Satan offer that? Because it was under his authority because of Adam's sin. Satan now controlled. But what happened on the cross? In the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Satan loses his claim over the earth. Amen? Amen. And so now God can re-give the earth to someone who is worthy. Now before we look at Jesus taking that scroll, we must understand why are there seven seals? There are seven seals for a reason, not just because of what we're going to read in the chapters ahead. But I want us to see the imagery and the symbolism that is being used here. These seven seals in the Roman culture, whenever uh, an emperor would, would pass, pass on down, someone who was his rightful heir and had to be the next in line, his own son or the closest family member, would go and take the scroll and they had seven seals. They're reminding John here that Jesus is in control. He is stronger than the Roman Empire. So when John sees this, he knows exactly what's going on, that this is an inheritance going to be handed down to the one who is worthy. So who is worthy? Jesus. And Jesus alone is worthy. There's no fancy preacher out there that is worthy to take those scrolls. John, the one who Jesus loved, is not worthy. John the Baptist was not worthy. Elijah was not worthy. Ezekiel was not worthy. Jeremiah was not worthy. Adam was not worthy. I am not worthy. You are not worthy. Christ and Christ alone is worthy to take this scroll. Amen. Amen. So when we look for hope, we will, we're fighting these things that we have in life. We need to look to Jesus Christ because he alone is the one that is worthy. He is the, alone is the one who is in control. We need to trust him. We need to obey him. Why is he worthy? Because he went to the cross for us. He completely obeyed the Father the way the Father deserves to be obeyed. We have not. Not one here has obeyed the Father as he deserves to be obeyed. But Jesus is worthy and he gets to open those scrolls. He is the one that gets to set creation free. He is the one that gets to open the door for his bride. He is the one that will fulfill all the promises made in the Old Testament to the apple of God's eye, the people of Israel. He is the one that will finally put an end to Satan. He is the one who will bound him for a thousand years. But what would it mean if Jesus wasn't worthy? A lot of times people will come to us or come to you or maybe Russ is dealing with this at work and say, well, I believe in God. I just don't need that Jesus. Or I'm a good person. I, I, I live a good life. What are we going to do when, when people say this? So I, I've got a short list of here. What it would mean if Jesus was not worthy? If Jesus was not the only way to the Father, he would not be worthy of worship. We come... On Sunday mornings to worship. 
That is our primary purpose. That is your primary purpose in life. You were created to worship a holy God. Talked about it before. Why do we do missions? Why do we send people out to declare the gospel to the ends of the earth? Because we want to say we sent somebody out? No. Because they're going to proclaim the gospel so that others will enter into the kingdom. So that more people will be able to worship God rightly. So that God will get more glory. As he deserves all the glory. Amen. He would also not be worshipped as the world's redeemer. If Christ is not worthy, he cannot redeem us. And then we are lost in our sin. We are unrighteous, sinful, and deserving of hell. The reality is whether you want to admit it or not, you are deserving of hell right now. But Jesus Christ has offered you the way of salvation. He has offered you the grace of the Father through his death. We must confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. We must truly believe that Jesus Christ is, is the Son of God, that he's been raised from the dead, that he alone is worthy, he alone is righteous. If Jesus is not worthy, then the martyrs that we read about in Revelation, they will have no justice. They will not be avenged. Their death would be in vain. The prayers of the saints, where would they go? The prayers of the saints, we pray in Jesus' name. If Jesus is not worthy, how are we to pray to the Father? Are we holy enough to enter into the presence of the Father? If Jesus is not worthy, the Father's appointed plan would not come to pass. All that we read about in Revelation, all that we hope for in the future, in eternity in the kingdom, in heaven, in paradise, to, to be with our loved ones again, that would all be in vain if Jesus is not worthy. The kingdom of this world would not be judged if Jesus is not worthy. The wicked would not be judged. And to me, worst of all, if Jesus is not worthy... Jesus would not be coming back. Jesus is coming back because he is worthy to take that scroll. He is worthy to break those seals and to pronounce judgment on the world and to declare his glory before every tribe, tongue, and nation. He is worthy to have everyone bow the knee. Every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David. Understand what the root of David means. It's not saying he is just a descendant of David, but he is actually the source of David. It is declaring Jesus Christ's divinity right here. While the Lion of the tribe of Judah declares his humanity, saying he, he is the great warrior that was promised to Judah. But with the root of David, he is God in the flesh. He is the one that was promised to David when David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit down until I make your enemies my footstool. That is what's, what's happening right now. We may look out in this world and see the chaos in our country and around the world and all, all the hate and, and the violence and, and the false religions and the hypocrisy and the heresy. And we may say, God, why is all this happening? God is making his enemies a footstool. See, the, the world's going to come together and it's going to try to be one. And it's going to try to make what we call a one world order. You know what they're really doing? They're just making it easy for Jesus to come down and declare he is king over the entire world. He will not have to conquer nations. He will conquer the world. And if the world is one, he only has one to conquer. Understand, all the plans that, that Satan has, God will, will use those for his own good. Satan is being used like a pawn, and he will be judged that, for the demon that he is. 
I want us to look at what what we would call the early the early life of Jesus, the doxology of Jesus. His enemies said he is worthy of death, but the angels say that he is worthy of praise. I tell you, Jesus is worthy of praise, and truly, he's the only thing worthy of praise. Men accuse him of working by the power of Satan, but the angels say he is worthy of power. He, in fact, is the power. He is God himself. He became poor for our sakes. I don't think we can really grasp what this means, to, to be God and then one day become human. And not just human. He didn't become king of the world when he came in the flesh. He became the servant of all servants. He came poor, financially, physically. He did not have a nice house. He was homeless. He did not have a fancy car. Every one of our cars is better than the one Jesus had. When he goes into Jerusalem to, to, in that triumphal entry, he has to borrow a donkey. Jesus had nothing. And the little bit he had, he had this man named Judas stealing from him. But what we declare is even that he was poor for our sakes, he deserves all riches. He deserves everything. The preaching of the cross, what we preach every week, is foolishness to this world. They look at it, they mock us, they laugh. But it is the wisdom to angels. The angels see what God is doing and they praise God for it. They are amazed and in awe and we should be as well. That the death of a carpenter 2,000 years ago brings you eternal life. That should bring you to a point of awe. When you wrap around your mind around that, that God came down in the form of a baby, lived a life with a sole purpose of dying a criminal's death, so that the wrath of God would be satisfied, that the wrath of God would be poured out on him, so it doesn't have to be poured out on you. But there are many here who hear these words over and over, and they refuse to allow it to soak into your heart. You refuse to repent. And the, the breaking of the seals will signal the, the judgment of the wrath that will fall upon all that are on this earth. The church will be taken home. But all those who have denied Christ and denied the way for the wrath to be forgiven, the wrath to, to not fall upon you, will be gone. And you will have to deal with the full wrath of God. On earth, Jesus is crucified in weakness. But in heaven, he is lauded for his power. He is dishonored in earth, but he is honored in glory. He has made a curse on the cross. But today he is both the recipient and bestower of blessing. If you are blessed, it is because Jesus Christ has chosen to bless you. I want us to remember that Jesus is all-powerful. He is the one that is worthy. And I want you to think about what a great opportunity, what a great blessing, what a great privilege you have to come alongside and serve him. I consider the position I have as pastor is to, to be one of the finest in the world because I get to serve my Lord Jesus. Not for, for my name to be on billboards and things like that, but for his name to be glorified. We will all be like those elders that we read about last week when we get to heaven and we hear the great praise that the angels and, the, and all heap upon Jesus, we will take those crowns and those rewards and cast them at his feet as if they were crushed roses for him to walk on. For he alone is worthy. What is a crown to me when I am in the presence of Christ? Is there anything greater than anyone could ever offer you? 
to be in the presence of God. I would give up everything for that. There's not, not a greater promise you could have in the world. And it is indeed a promise, a guarantee. The way scripture reads in the original language is as if it's already happened. It's as if you're already in the presence of Christ right now. That is the way the scripture describes it. I want us to keep in mind as we go forward in the weeks to come, we're going to read some very hard and difficult things in Revelation. We're going to read, as we read about the myriads and myriads and thousands upon ten thousands of angels, the millions of angels that were in heaven, we're also going to read about millions of people that are being judged in God's wrath here on earth. It is not going to be easy. It's not a fun part to read. So we need to understand the purpose of what is happening here. It's to punish the nations for their sins, especially the way they have treated Israel and its Christ, Jesus. The world is being judged because they have rejected the way of the Messiah. They have rejected the only Son of God. That is why judgment comes. God's will is for all men and women to be saved. Every single one of them. God does not desire to make people suffer. But they have rejected Him wholly. And the second purpose, it's going to focus on Israel, is to purge Israel and prepare a believing remnant to receive Christ when He comes in glory. The prophet Zechariah says, They will look up to the heavens and they will mourn for Him. Because they will look upon the one whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for their only son. The people of Israel will look one day and see Jesus as the Messiah. And we will rejoice with them. And along with the angels and everyone in heaven, we will praise God for what we see. But that day has not yet come. We need Jesus. Jesus lived that righteous life that you and I can't live. We repent, we, we try hard not to sin, but... Time and time again, we fall short of God's glory. We have to come back and we repent. We ask God to forgive us. And God is faithful and graceful to do so. But Jesus obeyed God in all the ways that were required of him, in the ways the Father deserves. He took the punishment you and I deserved. You and I deserve to be on that cross. Jesus did not. Jesus was a righteous, holy man. He is the definition of holy. As we looked at last week, holy, holy, holy the Lord God Almighty. We need Jesus. You need Jesus. Whether you want to admit it or not, you need Jesus desperately. Amen. You need Jesus more than you need money to pay the bills. You need Jesus more than you need the air to breathe. We need Jesus. Because He alone is worthy. He alone is righteous. We need Jesus because He is the hope of this world. When we call ourselves New Hope Baptist Church, that new hope is Jesus Christ. When people come here, that is what we offer. We don't sell you any goods. We don't have any fancy t-shirts or next concert to offer you. But what we have to offer you is the gospel of Jesus Christ, Amen. by which you may be saved if you put your faith in him. Jesus is in control. He's been in control of all, all destiny from time past to time future. A day will come where time will no longer be a thing, but Jesus Christ will be in control. He's in control now. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Jesus foresaw this day long ago. Much longer than I ever foresaw. Much longer than any of us ever foresaw. Without Jesus, there can be no hope. This world would be a terrible place without Jesus. We need to give God thanks for sending His Son. And thanks to Jesus for being worthy. 
And thank you for the Spirit for convicting us of our sins and for turning to Him. There's a famous preacher named James Montgomery Boyce. In his final address as pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, he was gravely ill with cancer. He didn't know it at the time. He knew his cancer was terminal and that he had months to live. He thought he had longer, but these were his final words because after this he became too ill to, to be able to stand up and preach before his church. If God does something in your life, would you change it? I know many of us think, and look at those hard times. Would you change those hard times? I understand why we want to. But if we were to change those hard times, we'd make it worse. It wouldn't be as good. So that's the way we want to accept it and move forward. And who knows what God will do? Who knows what God will do with this church? We've had members, leaders in our own denomination tell us we should close the doors. Should we close the doors? No. Absolutely not. That is not honoring to God. That is not stepping out in faith for God. Who knows what God will do? Let me tell you what God will do. God will raise up a generation that is faithful to Him and His Word. He'll raise up a church that will send missionaries out who will train leaders up. No more will we have days where you have to go and spend innumerable amount of money at seminary to train young men up to, to lead the next generation. We will train women up on how to be godly, godly women, how, how, to, how to lead their children, how to lead the next generation. Great things are in store if we come together and surrender to God. When we look back and in October, it will be almost 500 years since the Great Reformation. Why do we call it great? Because it changed the world. Who changed the world? There's a handful of men that they list, that they talk about in the Reformation. Martin Luther, John Calvin, Ulrich Zwingli. Those are three people that they overlapped in time by about 20 years in their life. Did they change the world? No. God changed the world. Are you different than they are? No. You read the accounts of some of them, most of you are better than they are. If you want to be honest. The reality is that we need to surrender to God and ask God to do big and mighty things. God doesn't want us to, to, to ask Him for small prayers. God doesn't want us to, to ask Him to do little things. But too many of us ask little things. Expect little from God. God is the God of, of heaven and earth. He spoke the world into existence. The things that he desires to do in this community, what, is it hard for him? No. He needs workers. He needs laborers who are willing to be obedient. So go out in the field to see the harvest. The harvest is ready. Christ is ready. The church is about to be called home. We have a short period in time to serve God and to serve him now. So that we may bring others into the kingdom. So God can be glorified fully the way he deserves. But it's up to us. Are we going to be willing to serve? Are we going to be willing to get out of our comfort zones? It's comfortable coming here and singing songs we all like and enjoy. It's not so comfortable when we go out there and have to do real ministry. There's hard work ahead. And to that I say amen. I want at the end of my life, when people look back and they say, you know what? 
He's somebody who took the Lord seriously. He took the word of God seriously, and he, he lived by his convictions to serve God and God alone. I pray that for all of you too. And I pray this day, if you don't know Jesus, and don't, don't be blind to yourself. Don't try to fool yourself. You could fool me. You could fool everyone around here. You can't fool God. Jesus knows those who know sin. The great warning that is given in Scripture is on that, that great day of judgment. Many will stand before him and he'll say, get away from me. I never knew you. Right. You may claim you know Jesus, but does he know you? When's the last time you prayed to him? It's hard to know somebody you've never talked to. It's hard to know somebody that when you don't open your Bible and you don't let them talk back to you, it's hard to know them. It's hard to know your will. Hard to know God's will when we are not being obedient to Him. And the reality is, He calls every one of us to that obedience. Not just the pastors, not just the deacons. So we're going to have a great time this afternoon, and I'm looking very much forward to it. But we are all called to be servants. We are all priests before God Most High. That's what Revelation 5 talks about. So I want you this week to pray about where God would have you serve. Pray about what your place is at New Hope and how, how God is going to use you to fulfill the mission that he's giving us. Let us pray. Uh, Father, Lord Jesus, if there is anyone here, Lord, that, that is feeling your, your Holy Spirit tug on their heart and to, to come and make you, Lord, I pray they would come forward and, and be on bended knee and cry out to you, Lord God. I pray that they join us in the mission that you have for us. I pray you bless this food to our bodies, Lord, that we are about to eat. May we have a wonderful time today, Lord. May, may everyone that come hear, hear great testimonies and, and hear your name glorified, Lord. But most of all, Lord, we, we pray now that, that we would bring you glory in what we do. We pray as we embark on the mission you have given us, the purpose that we have, Lord, that we would do it faithfully. We would do it with a whole heart and, and serve you always, Lord God. Jesus, we love you. You, Lord Jesus, are worthy. You are worthy of power. You are worthy of glory. You are worthy of all wisdom and might and honor. All wealth, everything it belongs to you, Lord. We are but your servants. We thank you for, we are made righteous through your blood, Lord. For we are not worthy. But we are called by your name. What a great calling it is. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.